Welcome back to season three of the Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Kiara Marie. I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and root cause protocol consultant. I'm here to share my human experience as well as have powerful conversations with the leaders in the health and wellness space. The Human Experience Podcast began because I truly believe our souls are here to experience a wide range of emotions, make mistakes, own our past traumas that led us to make them, and face our deepest fears in order to grow. The Human Experience is a conversation about self-development, conscious awareness, and normal human responses, and connecting emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. The Human Experience promises to deliver authenticity and diversity. The Human Experience community is a group of humans doing the work so they can live their lives to their fullest potential and are here to break intergenerational family patterns so generations to come can too. At The Human Experience, we're diving deep. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Never wow. been. I've never been to California. <laughs> Some of your images, like the color makes me think of like LA kind of like sunset beachy vibe. So that's super interesting oh. that my brain's like, oh, she's from LA. <laughs> no, that was probably me in Mexico. I did go to Mexico oh. at one point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense now. I wish, yeah. I wish I was by a beach all, all year long, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Teresa. I am so honored to have you on the show. Um, I've learned a lot from you just from following you in just like a short time span. And I wanted to spread your knowledge and wisdom that you have to share on your platform with everyone that is listening to the human experience podcast. Um, so I guess first and foremost, for everyone who doesn't know you, Teresa, can you just give us like a little bit of background, like how you even got on this healing journey or this journey of yours? So I was actually just mind mapping before this because people ask me this question and it always kind of stops me in my tracks (laughs) because I never thought I would be here right now. And looking back, I think we have similar stories in that I started showing symptoms very early on, but kind of thought it was normal. And I think from a very young age, I remember as far back as being in second grade, and I was already kind of seeing the world through what felt like a darker kind of like sepia tinted tone. And again, I'm like, okay, this is normal. But I also had a lot of ear infections, my belly was always swollen. I was mostly surviving off of the standard American diet and mostly eating just like pretty junky foods. We did have a lot of home cooked meals, but like you know, also a lot of McDonald's and from a very early age, never ever was even aware of the importance of taking care of our physical body. It was just like, you know, I knew that something didn't feel quite right, but didn't think there was any way to improve that. And this was like, yeah, second grader, you know, you, (laughs) there's a lot going on there. And, you know, as I'm tried to mind map this out, I think with my journey, it started, I just started going downhill fast. And the Western approach, the doctors that I saw at the time, as early as sixth grade, they're like, oh, you just have an anxiety disorder. You have some acid reflux, take this medication, take that medication, you'll be fine. And then, you know, as I got older, I started taking birth control. The next step was to put me on um, acid blockers to help with my acid reflux. And then later in high school, I was put on Prozac again, not with any, without really any information like, oh, you're depressed. Here's this. And at the time I, again, I was so disconnected from my body. I was kind of stuck in that fight or flight mode. I knew something was off, but again, I was so in the mentality that you push through it, you work harder, you keep up with everyone else. This world is going to be tough. And you know, one of the first lessons I think I took in from the world was that life's not fair mm-hmm. and that in order to survive, you work hard. And so that I think was like the first layer of dysfunction aside from what was going on on a physical level. And of course, we know they interact. So yeah, I can, I think we all fall into this in the same way. And, you know, in my attempts to feel better, I started to go down the road of intensity. So I went from a complete sedentary, more like depressed, sleep deprived couch to potato surviving off of parts, uh, pop tarts, all of a sudden to later in high school, getting so into exercise, the point of 
really having like compulsive over-exercise tendencies because it was my first taste of feeling good. And that opened up the can of worms of veganism and vegetarianism and kind of orthorexic behaviors, which took me to a certain point while the anxiety and all the other dysfunctions were building. I think when I first found out that I had a stress fracture and was diagnosed with early osteoporosis, that was when I was like, wait a second, what is going on? Again, I was taking the birth control pill at this time. I was showing all sorts of symptoms in terms of like bloating and acne and, you know, panic attacks. This brings me into college, speed up a couple of years. And I finally felt like I had figured it out, which I think a lot happens to a lot of people. They're like, yes, you get a diagnosis and you're like, ah, okay, that's it. So (laughs) when I first started getting test back for positive Lyme and co-infections. I was like, okay, sweet. I'm not crazy. All these symptoms are real. And it was the first shift towards realizing that a lot of these mental symptoms were real. You know, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't imagining them like my night sweats, my bloating, my food reactions, my fatigue. I'm like, thank goodness. It's all because of the Lyme and the Babesia and the Bartonella. But That I think was a turning point because as soon as I started seeing more functional docs and naturopaths, it felt like every lab test and every analysis and every body scan, every brain scan, every like upper endoscopy and colonoscopy just revealed more issues. And it's funny. It's like the more data I received, which normally I'm like the more data, the better. But in my case, the more data added fuel to this idea that something was wrong with me and I had to fix it, which created so much more stress in terms of, and I noticed this in your story, but spending literally hours trying to research and figure out how to heal, what was the next step. And I was just falling down rabbit hole after rabbit hole of extreme healing diets to try and feel better, of course, but combine restrictive diets with parasite cleanses and heavy metal cleanses and liver flushes and like all of these purging kind of approaches, it completely removed me from a normal life. And I was already taken away from, you know, like the idea of being healthy and out and about because I felt so unwell, but then throw on these restrictive diets and it just adds that constant anxiety. So I think I had multiple breakdowns over the years when my body just hit another stage of like complete depletion. And then I was getting so sick that even with wanting to add foods back in, I, my body couldn't handle it at this point. And I think the biggest breaking point was after following the mucusless diet. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. It's a, it's <laughs> basically this idea that the, the ideal human diet is just hundred percent fruit. And that's the way to cure yourself from parasites and all the diseases. And that so many of these diseases are caused by meat and dairy. And I fell for it because again, I was like, I'll do anything to heal. And I had already tried, you know, AIP gaps, paleo, and I was having crazy reactions to sweet potatoes and nuts. And I'm like, okay, they don't have the answer. I'll just eat fruit. (laughs) But, you know, I think you know that when you take out a certain macronutrient or take out protein, the body literally starts breaking down. So that's when I dropped to 79 pounds. My body was unable to digest even fruit at this point. And my option was basically get tube fed through the heart or figure something out. And I was not on board with that. So Oh yeah. This whole, even, even thinking back now, I'm like, I can't believe that these like were, what I latched onto, but I thank myself for continuing to try because I think anyone listening to this is probably also at the point where they're just trying things because they really want to feel better. And there's so much dogma and so much, like there's so much of a push behind these diets that of course people are like, yeah, that's going to help me. I'm going to feel better. Oh, I'll lose weight on keto. Oh, cool. Like AIP, it's clean. And like that, well, you know, like all of these stories that of course, anyone with any kind of insecurity or sensitivity feels like a safe place. So for me, finally getting a break coming out of this actually started with the carnivore diet, which again, I wouldn't recommend long-term for anyone, but it was the first time where I 
was able to finally start to tolerate foods even just a little bit. And it was like day three on the carnivore diet where I was like, I feel like I'm like, I'm not going to die, you know? And this was actually after being in the hospital for two weeks because I was getting treatments for Lyme's disease, thinking that would be like my final, like once I got the parasite low down low enough, then my body would finally start healing and I could start eating normally again, but that didn't work. So yeah, I think carnivore opened up the world of metabolic eating because I started looking into Danny Roddy, who then led me to Ray Pete. And when I found Ray Pete and Kate Deering, I started, I basically read everything, literally everything on Ray Pete's website. And it was for the first time I'm like, this starts to make sense. And there was still some resistance because I couldn't believe that all of these foods that I had been demonized over the years, like really foods that I've been craving too. So that's why my brain was like, okay, I've done all the crazy restrictions. I've survived off of pure beef. You know, I've drank just like man-made formula for weeks. I've been like in the hospital, like basically given very little options. And like, finally, this feels like, you know, he wasn't trying to sell anything. He was just like, here's biology. Here's like the stress. And, you know, another aspect of this is in the process of trying to research and heal myself, so many of the little bubbles about the impact of trauma and how that rewires the nervous system and the immune system that had always felt so true to me because I felt like I was born kind of hyper, like a little bit out of it. My HPA axis was kind of tweaked and I know that trauma is passed down from generation to generation. So Ray Pete's emphasis on understanding the stress response and honoring the work of people like Hans Selye and really understanding the organism and humans and animals as a product of their environment and almost giving a roadmap to bring vitality back to a system that has been kind of, you know, thrown off course that finally felt like, wow, healing is possible and kind of opened up from there. So thanks for letting me kind of try and scramble together a story. (laughs) No, that was so perfectly said, Teresa. Thank you for sharing that. Like I can relate to so many things that you just said, like even coming out of the womb, like having a little bit of a tweak in the HPA axis. And then like the whole concept of intergenerational trauma just seemed so like, I wanted to believe it at first, but I was like, I was resistant to it. And then it wasn't until I actually read the book. Um, it didn't start with you by Mark Wollen. It's phenomenal. It's all about like, yeah, intergenerational trauma and patterns and breaking them. And uh, it just, it made me uh, put so many pieces of my life and like generations before me, like just, it just made so much sense. Um, and you know what I actually did this morning? I did your EFT tapping for perfectionists or type A's, right? Is that what it was? (laughs) That's the one I just posted. How did it go? It was awesome. I have definitely been recommending like your work to my clients as I'm like, this is so important. It's such an important piece of the puzzle. Um, but like, a lot of my clients and myself included, I mean, I've done, I did carnivore for a little bit. I couldn't stick with it. Cause I was like, I don't know. I just couldn't. And Good. Um, <laughs> your body was wisely saying, this is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. No. Um, but I've had, um, I've heard people doing like the fruitarian, um, yep. diet and like AIP. I did that for a little bit. I was like, this is it. Okay. Even though I don't have an autoimmune disease, like I know this, this has to help me. Like it just yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I've only been a part of like this whole metabolic style of eating for maybe a few months now, but it's like okay. made so much sense to me. Yeah. Um, like finally something that actually makes sense. And then I've seen, works for me and it feels sustainable and it it's helped so many of my clients as well and yeah. like dr ap is awesome danny roddy georgie dinkov um i'm actually now in well i mean morley robbins um Mineral he's man. awesome yeah he's <laughs> awesome too um but yeah it's like it's everything and for you to start your symptoms so so young i mean like yeah. you said second grade that's when I like, it was my first experience of depression, but I, again, at the time I had no language or understanding of what that meant, but I just remember just feeling like 
what's the point of this life and waking up and not wanting to go to school. Yeah. It was, you know, I look back to my little self. I'm like, Oh, sweetie. Like it's, I mean, it's a reality. I think for a lot of people, like they're so thrown off when they come out of the womb, you know, and they're just picking up on whatever their mom went through. Like that's even just understanding the impact of trauma and abuse while the mother's pregnant, how the mother's feeling while she's pregnant, or if she's like had babies, you know, Morley Robbins talks about this a little bit, but just mineral depletion from child to child. So if you're having so many kids back to back, I was the fourth kid in four years, five years. And yeah. So again, it's like, that's a lot of a lot of baby (laughs) to squeeze out. So (laughs) shout out to my mom for for being so (laughs) tough and resilient, but of course, you know, of course it impacts the child. Yeah. That's something I learned recently. Um, spacing children out like two to three years is ideal. And I was someone who was like, I want to have them back to back to back to back because I just wanted them to be so close in age. I mean, you know, as it happens, it's fine, but, um, yeah, repleting those nutrient stores because it is incredibly taxing on the body. But yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't start experiencing my symptoms. Well, I guess I was in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. It started off with really bad acid reflux and heartburn and it would like bring me to the ground and I would just pop Tums and I was given Nexium and all these acid blockers that just made everything so much worse. And I had no idea. I just, I felt like I was just broken and something was wrong with me. I almost went to, um, here in the DC area, we have a a research hospital, Johns Hopkins. And Mm -hmm. I was this close to going there. I was like, someone there has to figure me out because I must be a mystery case or something. Cause no one could like give me any solid answers, ran all the tests. Um, so yeah, very similar story to you. And now we're finally in a place. So you had, um, you had, so I I guess technically does Lyme ever go into it's in remission right now? Does it ever go away? Like, I don't really know too much about Lyme. So there are so many theories about you know, how to live well with chronic Lyme, or if you can actually have a complete recovery. My understanding is that you can live harmoniously with it. If it's at the point where it's chronic, oftentimes it's pretty deep in the joints, in the tissues, sometimes even in the brain and the heart. Um, that's where it can get very serious, but you can also hopefully with the, the idea that you can keep the parasite or the, I guess, is it a, yeah, it's kind of a parasite, keep the parasite load down low enough so that your body can still extract as many nutrients as it can, you know, especially I think for me, the Lyme and the Bartonella has kind of taken over my digestive tract, which has caused a lot of the issues I've experienced. Um, Especially thinking back to the mucusless diet, one of the biggest symptoms I was trying to relieve was the chronic gastroparesis, just not having any movement in the colon and having to physically empty the colon to, you know, survive. And so much of my understanding now is that these parasites can yeah cause paralysis of the gut and again i have no no hard feelings towards them they're just choosing a body that probably has a bunch of heavy metals and iron and estrogen and they're like wow that looks delicious let's make a home there but now that i'm reading and following ray pete's work more closely i think that with the right environment i feel like you can get to the point where the lime isn't bothersome and maybe is still there in very small amounts and might get triggered under intense stress. But for the most part, I'm determined to keep, keep telling those little bugs that they don't have a place here. Yeah, no, I can relate to that so much. I did all the parasite cleanses with the full moon and uh, (laughs) was so uh, adamant about getting them out of me and did all the enemas and yeah. Yeah. And now we have an understanding that it is the metabolism. It is the slowing of the metabolism and like, okay, what's slowing you down and at the root of it all stress and what that accumulates in the body, iron, estrogen, and so forth. So I love that perspective where you can like coexist with them because I mean, they're everywhere. It's kind of hard Mm -hmm. to, to run away from these guys. They might enter your body, but they, they should just leave. Right. Well, and that's, you know, you brought up a wonderful point before of like, like why are parasites becoming like, what, how does it even start? And exactly it's stress. So in a way it's like, 
we can thank them. They're a beautiful reflection that our bodies are very imbalanced. The way we're living is probably really dysfunctional. So they're almost there to be like, Hey, you probably should change your course of living or else it's only going to go down from, from here. So yeah, it's all these funny, I guess what seemed like their roadblocks initially are just more reflections and it always steers back to lowering stress, supporting the metabolism and you know, keeping, keeping the body in a place where it can just feel vital and excited and like wanting to take on life. And again, I think that naturally makes it so parasites wouldn't be able to live in the body. They don't want a healthy body that's hormonally balanced and low in iron and, you know, all the things that they like to feed off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see clients, right? Like you have, I do. okay. And, but you do nutrition and brain rewiring I'd say like 5% nutrition. It depends where people are. Some people just want like, okay, tell me what to eat and help me fix my gut. Sometimes I'm like, okay, we can do like one session. And then it opens up and they're like, wow, I didn't realize that so much of what seems like a symptom is actually being perpetuated by my brain and my thoughts and my conditioning and how I think I need to live and things like that. So I'd say my focus is definitely on the brain side of things, assuming that someone has a really solid understanding of metabolic eating and metabolic just thinking and movement and everything that fits into just low stress, happy hormone kind of living. But yeah, the majority is definitely focusing on kind of pruning out those thoughts and stories that are creating that even low level stress. Cause like like some people don't even realize that the inner critic they have, or even just that kind of narrative of thoughts as we go about our days, how we wake up, what we're thinking as we sit down to eat, how we feel when we look in the mirror, like all these little thoughts are so powerful. And even with the perfect pro-metabolic diet, if we're sending signals of stress to our body, of course, it's going to, you know, kind of stay in that freaked out fight or flight or panic mode all the time. If we, yeah, if we're hating our lives or if we're interpreting our reality as not safe or not ideal, or even just like the idea of being bored, I think can be really stressful for the body. If, you know, oh my God. people, yeah, yeah, there's so many stories. I mean, I could go down <laughs> a rabbit hole just there listing the stories that, and again, I want to honor the fact too that when people, are sick and have hormonal imbalances and parasites and, you know, all of the dysfunctional symptoms that we have these days, of course, the thoughts reflect that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying to anyone like, think, think positive, think yeah, better, yeah. but, but also acknowledging that our thoughts are feeding right back into our physiology. So if we're already noticing that we're getting signals from our gut that, like, you know, I'm like this again, or I'm so tired. I'm so done with this. I'm so depressed. All these thoughts, we have to think better than how we feel initially, at least to give the body a leg up to remind it that it can heal. Absolutely. Our cells can hear us. I I believe in that. So hardcore. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So just so we have like an idea of what it actually looks like to get inside the brain, what, what were some of the stories that you were telling yourself and how did you go about like changing the narrative, I guess, in your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in my darkest, the lowest part of my journey when I was just kind of in survival mode during the mucusless diet and starting into the carnivore, the initial carnivore stages, right? Um, the stories were kind of very, very dark, like feeling like, wow, my body let me down. My body's dying. Like, I'm never going to get to experience life. Like I just, all of these stories about like, kind of like, woe is me? And like, oh, it's, let me put myself back there for a second. I guess to the extremes were more suicidal and very just hopeless ways of seeing the world, like really wanting to die. Like I, I remember dragging my body, I would walk to the store to like my one task for the day sometimes would be to just go get groceries because I was, I was unemployed at the moment because I was just so sick, but I was like, okay, determined to just do something. And I remember walking to the store um, and I wasn't even eating real food at the time. I was surviving off of the elemental shake, which is just a man-made formula, but I was picking up something. And I remember thinking, 
I could just throw myself into traffic right now. Like that was the level of dysfunction that I lived in because I was so, I, I just couldn't believe how sick my body was and all of my efforts to improve it were not working. And like you mentioned before, like doctors kept writing me off as the most complicated case. They didn't know what to do with me. They just had more prescriptions, more supplements, more protocols, more antibiotics. And, you know, those didn't help me either. You know, I'd say looking further back when I first got the Lyme diagnosis, that was the first time where I got really knocked down by the Western, the Western protocol of taking, you know, four different types of antibiotics at once to the point where I was just bedridden because my body could not keep up with the with dealing with all of that and just my detox pathways were not open to even like cleanse the dye off from trying to kill the blind. So when I, you know, and thinking about how I started changing that, it was kind of like, it was definitely a bumpy process. I'd have moments where I'm like, life is worth living. I can do this. And then I'd completely fall back into doom and misery and despair. And, you know, I'd like, punch a wall, like really like have these outbursts as as this like ET version of myself, like very, very malnourished and sick and just so lost in the world. But I think thinking about the healing power of love, honestly, my husband ended up taking a leave of absence from work to just be with me throughout the day, you know, and just provide company. And I think that gave me enough juice to say, okay, I know this is intolerable, but I'm going to choose life. I'm going to trust life. I'm going to trust that there's a purpose to this sickness and that I'll be able to get through it. And I just started imagining myself healthier. And I think Mm. DNRS was the first program that kind of gave me that hope that maybe it was possible. And I have mixed feelings about DNRS, but the program in general, I love the idea of honoring the nervous system and the limbic system and, and realizing that we do have the ability to retrain our stress reactions and retrain our thoughts. And if a thought is dysfunctional and causing and sending signals of disease, we want to nip that in the butt and replace it with a good one. Because if we're going to think all the thoughts in the world, we might as well choose the ones that are inspiring and hopeful and at least providing a blueprint for a better future because I mean, it doesn't feel good to expect the worst. It doesn't feel good to be hyper-focusing on symptoms and blaming the world for this and blaming, you know, blaming other people for, (laughs) for diseases. It feels so much better to say, okay, yeah, I'm sick and I am determined to find a way out of this so that I can then help other people because you and I both know that a lot of young people these days have autoimmune conditions, gut issues, skin issues, mood disorders. I'm like, whoa, it's an epidemic right now of just dysfunction, young dysfunctional sick people that are really trying their best to heal and kind of don't know where to start because there's so many different options presented and most of them are not sustainable. So Mm. does that answer your question? (laughs) Oh my God, it more than answers it. And thank you. So I find that to be really interesting because that... I came across the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, When I was in the depths of my healing journey and I was so lost and I was like, there is no way out. Like I just, I was looking, I was resorting to, well, not resorting to, I guess I was reaching for other um, alternatives. Like, okay, I have nailed down my nutrition or so I thought Um, I have my Mm -hmm. supplements or so I thought Uh, we have all the tests, we have everything like what is missing. So I really started to dive deeper into like the emotional side of things, the mental side of things um, and just connecting it there. So I came across his work and was like, I came, Mm -hmm. I started reading the book, um, Becoming Supernatural. And and, um, I was so fascinated. And then I just like just stopped myself in my tracks. And I was like, whoa, 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 Kiara, like, let's, let's, let's try this. Like, you've never done this before. So I started just picturing my future self and like, I wrote her down and I just like felt her and I swear, like I am her today. Like there's just, I recommend that to everyone. Like, if you can just imagine your future self and feel that like it'll happen, like there's no way out. Yeah. I think that I didn't mean to interrupt, but I got so excited because I I think that like 
looking at your past traumas, honoring them, and then the embodiment work of saying, I know this is what is happening now. I know this is what has maybe happened to me in the past, but looking forward. And I think when, again, someone is so sick, imagine a future where they're feeling energized and feeling happy and can digest things easily and, you know, feel like they're living a life that has purpose and connection. That, again, can feel so far off, but it's almost like you have to be determined enough to say, yeah, I know that feels impossible, but I'm going to choose to keep getting very, very clear about that. Because of course the body won't know where to go if we don't think bigger than where we're at. I think it's like one of the most worthwhile creative processes is imagining yourself thriving, you know, Absolutely. which our culture, I don't think really teaches us how to do. <laughs> no, we don't learn that in school. I mean, I guess to an extent, like, what do you be, want to be when you grow up? But <laughs> I feel like we aren't mm. really given like the right tools to do so. Um, mm. What was I going to say? DNRS. What does that stand for? What yeah. is that? Dynamic neural retraining system. So they take actually they it's similar to Joe Dispenza's approach in the idea that dysfunctional thoughts of course lead to disease and people with certain chronic diseases have hyperactive systems like I know a lot of people with mold exposure for example or mm -hmm. chemical sensitivities they'll mm -hmm. smell someone's perfume they'll have a, a cup of coffee and with the slightest bit of mold and their body will mount a huge immune response again this is just a normal reaction when the body's getting sicker and sicker, but their whole approach is that you have to retrain the brain, the limbic system, that primal part of the brain. You have to teach it that it's safe, that it doesn't need to react to all these foods, these smells, these chemicals, and even symptoms too. Cause I think you can probably relate to this. Like bloating is the perfect example. If you're constantly bloated hundred percent of the time, everything you eat causes bloating. The brain is going to start hyper-focusing and body scanning people start to find themselves terrified to eat because they're scared of a reaction. Then they're, you know, they're developing kind of food fears, life fears. They're scared to be out and about. I mean, I guess no one's out and about these days, but when <laughs> things were open, you know, all of these, and they, these symptoms kind of compound each other compound. So DNRS is all about noticing the triggers and learning to retrain them no matter how small they are. So when I first started working on myself with that, that's when, again, I realized, whoa, every single thought I have is either body scanning, future forecasting, worrying, panicking. Everything was still through this lens of dysfunction and fear and like seeing the world as this really dangerous place, not able to imagine myself living in it. So that was kind of a wake up call for me, like realizing, wow, my sickness has changed the way my brain is, but here I am just perpetuating it. So I have a lot of respect for that program. I think a lot of people find themselves, you know, when doctors and naturopaths and healers don't know what to do with them, a lot of people finally find some healing through that. But, you know, it only takes you so far. I think you have to, with this whole healing process, you have to figure out what works for you. And it's not this just like, oh, you do one program and you're healed. It's like, okay, it's, it's our thoughts. It's our food. It's our lifestyle. It's noticing our conditioning and, and seeing if something we're doing just kind of without thinking about it is, is causing issues and really like starting to really examine yourself and your life and, and building something that feels good. I feel like is kind of the foundation for something that's sustainable and can actually open up a life that feels good. Oh my God. I love what you just said. It's just finding what works for you and yeah. building that toolkit coming across like different people, like me finding this, uh, metabolic supportive community and then finding you like that yeah. is a huge piece of the puzzle. So how yeah. does that, the work that you do differ from DNRS or like, how can you like build on top of that? Yeah. So I guess the biggest thing I noticed with DNRS is that they had a very prescribed practice an hour mm. a day. You do these rounds, you do these arm motions. Really, um, It's pretty, it's, it's kind of goofy, but <laughs> what it felt like it added to my dysfunction. And again, this is not to hate on DNRS. They opened up the world for me, but I noticed it added to the, my awareness of how dysfunctional I was because 
every single thing in my reality was a trigger lights, smells, foods, even just lifting my body up. Like everything was a trigger of how sick I was. So in a way it was keeping me in that place of, oh my gosh, I'm never going to heal. So, but it did remind me that neuroplasticity was an option. So I guess in the process of trying to find tools that worked for me, I was working with a practitioner who started working with me using tools like hypnosis and visualizations. Mm. And she was the first person to show me EFT and that EFT, I think became the tool that was finally like, Whoa, this is free. The brain believes it. It's not just positive thinking and, and it's not just affirmations or law of attraction, all of that. It's more really working with the stories and starting to tweak them just the slightest bit so that the body can actually start to let down its guard and enter that place of resting and digesting and just feeling relaxed, even if it's just like the smallest bit of, oh, okay, I know I'm sick and I can still enjoy my life, like really, really subtle changes. And I think starting to experience these really small, subtle changes continuously daily started to allow me to look back even over a couple of months and say, whoa, healing is possible. It just looks very different than the wellness world likes to present it, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that so much. I didn't come across EFT. I think I've heard of it bounced around here and Mm -hmm. there, but Mm -hmm. um, more consistently lately um, because Mm -hmm. of you and a few other um, practitioners. So for those who don't know what EFT is, what does it stand for? What is it? What is it? Yeah, (laughs) it's called the emotional freedom technique. And it became popular, I think in the eighties, I'll have to double check that. But Mm -hmm. acupuncturists were actually realizing, whoa, you don't have to, you don't actually need to stimulate these points with needles just by tapping on them can cause a shift in hormones and energy and, you know, all of the physiological measurements of a body shifting towards, again, that relaxed healing place. So they started using just acupressure points. Mm. And then over the years it developed, they started adding more of the phrases and you're basically saying these mantras or affirmations. Yeah. It's a little bit of exposure therapy. Cause at first you're kind of acknowledging that, you know, your body is sick Mm, or you've got all these just, you know, and kind of like flooding the system with the stress hormones. And then it starts to kind of somatically bring it back to this place of safety by saying yes. And yes, you have all these issues and, and the pressure points, it's pretty cool. The studies show that the pressure points actually increase the effectiveness of it because we can go around all day just thinking, okay, you know, like <laughs> even though my body's sick, I love and accept myself and I know that I'm healing. I know that I'm finding my way and all of this orange juice and gelatin is helping me heal. But if the body doesn't believe that, you know, it's only going to take you so far. And the emotional freedom technique, I think, honors the fact that you have to believe you really have to believe what you're saying. And then when you kind of tap it in with the, with the protocol, that's when the body says, whoa, like, okay, I can start to feel this different. So I believe it. Yeah. So is it like eight points on the body or nine? It's people have different techniques. I use the side of the hand, the head kind of in between the eyebrows, above the eyebrows, outside of the eyes, under the eyes, under the nose, the chin, the thymus, thyroid-ish area, and then kind of breastbone, like kind of underneath the armpits. And then you end with squeezing the trigger points in the wrist. But, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you could use more acupressure points because they're all over the body. So depending on what you're working on, and I would love to learn more about like working specifically on the gut, the pressure points in the gut, because again, thinking about the vagus nerve and Mm. how important that is for just overall health and function. I'm like, why hasn't anyone started this yet? So we'll see, maybe someone will. (laughs) What are your favorite ways to stimulate the vagus nerve for you? That's a really good question. Recently, probably just singing because I used to sing just for joy and happiness. And, you know, it's just a part of like community aspects growing up in high school in college. And then I stopped. And of course, with quarantine and isolation, it (laughs) became a thing of the past, but I'd say singing for sure. And trying to think what else, I mean, like belly massage, deep belly breathing are things I just 
do naturally as part of my own self-care. Uh, what about you? Yeah, no, saying I think breath work is definitely my favorite. I just, I can be that person that is a perfectionist and it can be go, 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 especially like with my practice. Yeah. Um, I think that's just what I saw growing up and I don't know, I might come to you for like a session or something, but I need like to, I've been working on like reprograms and things and like, it's, I'm, I'm aware of it, but actually like when it comes down to it and being in that, um, that flow, I'm like, I can get so caught up in it. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I got to get all the things checked off the to-do list. My self-care became a list and I like wanted to cross things off like that kind of person. And I remember sitting down, it's, it's so vivid to me. Um, in second grade, I actually won a handwriting competition, um, Mm -hmm. for like having a really good handwriting as a second grader. And I just remember everything being so perfect on my desk, like the way my books were stacked up on top of each other, the way my pencil was lined up, just like from a very, very young age, like having that hyper vigilance, like with those things. And I mean, now that I'm older, I have a deeper understanding, but like how, my mom is like with her house and her, her bills and everything. And I think Uh, that was like maybe a trauma response for her growing up, having to care for her siblings and her parents being um, an immigrant and not understanding English. And so just having that, that high stress environment um, and then in the womb as well, like just being that kind of person. So um, it is something that I have, tried like just day by day kind of slowing down so breath work is something that I go to to slow down I have my meditation pillow in my room and I just like just go sit there and Mm -hmm. I just belly breathe yeah I'd say that's probably one of my favorites but I love um dancing and singing and humming um Mm -hmm. pretty much anything to stimulate the biggest nerve (laughs) yeah you know that's so funny because I think with the wellness world everything becomes a to-do list to try and feel better. Like, okay, setting aside your meditation side, uh, time, make sure you get your red light, like outside for 30 minutes, like make sure to block blue light. And like, that is such a stressor versus if you actually slow down enough and ask your body, like ask your body what it wants. Oftentimes it will tell you, and it's not so complicated. Maybe it wants some rest. Maybe it wants some movement. Maybe it wants a snack. And it like, I think just honoring the basics can be so much more profound than these lifestyle hacks or these biohacks that are very profitable, but the basics have like such a beautiful and gentle, sustainable kind of like hug of a feel when you start to make that the framework and like let the to-do list almost be this humorous thing that is a part of our culture and come back to really like, okay, what would feel good today? Given that I'm a busy person and I tend to get lost in my work. Oh, I'm getting the cue to like lay on the floor for a second. Great. You know, like (laughs) things like that, I think can be so healing for the vagus nerve. And just, I mean, it's really just a matter of bringing back that parasympathetic tone and we can do that without gargling, without, you know, coffee enemas, without all these fancy tools that are helpful. You know, they have their time and place, but the basics are so beautiful too. And they're free and they are probably less stressful. Oh my God. No, I seriously love your perspective. You're just simplifying it so much. Like, yeah. And especially like with the health and wellness community, like there are so many gadgets and tools that we like Hmm. it's like new shiny object syndrome, right? It just looks so cool. (sighs) (laughs) You know, that's, I was just thinking about this before our call, like even the idea of like supporting your liver again, it's coming from a really beautiful place. Like, yeah, if I support my liver, then my estrogen detox will be better and my digestion will be better. My skin will be better. And there's like fancy, like liver juice and like liver supplements and protocols and cleanses and flushes and even castor oil packs, which are again, are great, but like can be stressful. It's like, Oh, I got to set aside an hour to do my castor oil pack versus, Oh, just eating enough protein and like getting enough fructose from our orange juice. That might be the ultimate liver cleanse right there. And it's like, we can incorporate that into our life so effortlessly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that Mm -hmm. can start to soften the load of just the awareness. Like 
wow, just by eating and caring for ourselves, we're already doing the liver cleanse. Great. Now we have a free hour this evening. Instead of doing a castor oil pack, we can spend time with our loved ones or we can read a book. Like I think, yeah, that's one of my goals is like starting to open up the, the idea of wellness and like letting people know that they can be their own expert. It doesn't have to be about this checklist of following what someone else is doing on Instagram or what the latest research is saying. Like, let's go back to the basic, basic, basics of how does the human body work and how does the brain and like, I guess, soul feel happy. It's kind of simple. Oh my God. Seriously changing my life over here. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I just, um, also you have to think about like the cases that a lot of women are going through like a lot of hormonal balances. Like, do you want to jump into a castor oil pack right away when your detox pathways aren't open? Could that make things a little bit worse? Um, embarking on those like liver juice tinctures. And again, just Mm -hmm. adding, are are we setting down the foundations first, I guess, first and foremost, are we balancing blood sugar? Are we eating frequently enough? Are we, Mm um, doing those simple things like you just mentioned, like supporting our liver with food, um, food first and having that be more of a sustainable approach rather than having to go out and do all the things. Um, so I love that. that. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me too, just with like the really good intention desire to want to feel better. It's like the brain and our culture says the more complicated, the more struggle, the better, you know, we never hear, Oh, like healing can be easy and relaxing and maybe much more affordable than we think it is. And that letting the brain find that safety and just thinking, oh, okay, I can do this in simple ways just by eating and slowing down. I think that again is another way to like detox the liver because all of a sudden all of that cortisol and adrenaline just naturally starts to lower. And we're like, okay, I can have my carrots and my brownies and drink a bunch of milk and feel really good. Wow. I can close my supplement drawer. So yeah, it's just... Glad we can laugh about it. <laughs> no, I love that. As someone who has spent, I remember seeing a naturopath and a functional medicine practitioner. I, I swear I spent over a thousand dollars in a period of just a few months on just supplements. Um, yeah. and that felt really stressful. And I just ended up feeling worse. You know, I think um maybe supplementation has a time and place for you in your protocol, but the going and finding the the basics. So I love everything that you're preaching. Yeah. And you remind me too, that a lot of these supplements, they sound really great and I fell for it too. Um, but they have so many fillers or we don't even know what we're actually getting or someone's under the impression that it's really helpful. And then, you know, we find out if you really dig into the research, it's not something you want to be taking like the whole fish oil fad, or like, I guess that's the one that stands out the most as something that a lot of people fall for. And then they find out, oh my gosh, this is only making the issues worse. And even just with going back to the liver cleanses, a lot of the supplements are really estrogenic or really irritating to the gut or, you know, causing these symptoms that we don't even realize we're adding symptoms to our plate. And that just adds this feeling of kind of paralysis and overwhelm because, you know, you're trying to heal, you're taking all the supplements, you're seeing all the naturopaths, you're following their protocols, you're doing their restrictive diets and you're getting worse. Like that just, ooh, it overcomplicates. So, and adds a lot yeah. of stress to the, to the already yeah. stressed out body. Um, yep. so what are some of your favorite resources and yeah, I guess let's just start there. What are your, some, some of your favorite resources that you would recommend for the, the, I guess the, the woman or man who is experiencing a lot of symptoms right now, what is something that you would recommend? <laughs> so I think one of the most important steps is at least initially taking a break from research, because I know you and I both fell into this trap. And I think a lot of people fall into this of like being spending hours and hours online, like trying to figure out like who to trust, what to trust, what protocol. And again, coming from the stressed stress standpoint, we want to step away from that. So first, just like calming the fire and just taking a break from that hyper focus of needing to fix. And then I think in that slower state, finding people that really kind of, again, coming back to that embodiment, embody that kind of vital 
balanced approach to wellness. And some of my favorite resources, I think, come from people that really understand the more holistic side of healing. So assuming that they're already learning about Kate Deering's approach and Ray Pete and just nourishment in general, one of my favorite resources is probably more in the like philosophy side of things. I, I always come back to uh, Pema Chodron as this beautiful wisdom, vessel of wisdom for just kind of being able to step back from our suffering and not take it so personally. And again, that fits right in with this idea of learning to heal our bodies with our brains. Um, but for people that do want to dive into more of the understanding and feel like they're ready to be more proactive, I think, I mean, Ray Pete is amazing just for understanding the physiology. Um, the Bliss and Grit podcast is amazing. I think they just had their last season, but it's worth going back and re-listening. They opened up almost just a they just widened my view of healing and they talk all about trauma and the body and overcoming trauma and retraining and finding joy in the process. And again, kind of taking these, these ideas and flipping them upside down and coming back to the idea that you can heal in ways that feel easy. You can nourish yourself. You can live a really beautiful life, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your body is fighting or trying to figure out. Um, Oh, and another resource, I think Eckhart Tolle has kind of been a rock in my healing journey. Very early on, a friend gifted me one of his books when I was, again, starting to really just crumble. And I was, I think I was doing the GAPS diet back then, mostly drinking bone broth and, you know, big dollops of ghee and egg yolks. And that was about it. You know, it's pretty, also a very restrictive diet, feeling hopeless, feeling sick, feeling tired. And then all of a sudden Eckhart Tolle comes in and he's just like, not a problem. Don't identify with the body. And I'm like, this is genius because I think that can be helpful too. Like, yes, loving your body and trusting it. And then also remembering like, you are not your body. Yeah, you live in this meat suit, but there's like, you are the awareness of what's going on in your experience. And I think that in and of itself can be very freeing and it kind of naturally lets you figure out what's helpful. And when you start to hear people speak like Joe Dispenza, or, I mean, there's so many wonderful people to mm, listen to, but absolutely. Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Was what def- about you? Yeah. Eckhart Tolle was definitely someone I looked up to. Um, I was, I don't know. How did I come? I was listening to Oprah Winfrey's podcast and he like definitely came on the show a few times and I was like, all right, I gotta get yep. this guy's book. Uh, so I started off with, um, a new earth and then yeah what was the second one I don't know I have it behind me but wow and I need to I like revisiting books like when I'm at a different stage in my life so I feel called to do that sometime soon um but yeah him Mm -hmm. um yeah if I think Kate Deering's book like how to heal your metabolism is just a really easy to understand resource um it's just, she just broke down all the science for you, essentially, like all of Ray Pete's articles that can be a little bit like, huh? Like what, what did he just say? And so she just sums it up so greatly. Um, I love her and I'm trying to think, I mean, there's so many people in this community as well that, um, that's, you know, I'm so glad you said that because in terms of Instagram, as harmful as it can be, in terms of like presenting the ideal body or the ideal life, or even just like the Instagram feed where it's like such not a reflection of reality in the pro metabolic community. I think there's so many women and men that are just like, it's all about nourishment, like, and the restriction, like enjoy the orange juice. And that (laughs) has such a beautiful feeling to it. And I think, yeah, anyone that's confused and so tired of restriction and, you know, like feeling lost and overwhelmed by their body I think that's one of the most important resources because it becomes like a philosophy it's yeah it's about food but it's also about how to be a good human how to reconnect with that sense of excitement and possibility and spontaneity and like that childlike way of seeing the world which I think when you're 
nourished and your metabolism was working. It's like, ah, of course I want to do cartwheels and like, (laughs) you know, make art and dance and all these things that you don't really want to do when you're fasting or restricting or, you know, only eating, I don't know, sweet potato balls with (laughs) almond sauce and you're you're too bloated to do anything. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so funny. I, you know, I, I, like you just said it because the last thing I wanted to do was go for a walk, like something as simple as that. Like I just wanted to literally just melt into the couch. That's all I had the energy to do. But then you have to look at how many tablespoons of nut butter I was eating per day because I eliminated dairy. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what was I going to say? I think that just about wraps up. What's like, some advice I I guess you would give to someone like who's really just in the depths and just moving through it I know I like when clients come to see me they're just like they feel so defeated there are a lot of tears and yeah yeah that's such a good question I often have to literally slow myself down and go back to who I was even a couple years ago because again I reached that place of wanting to die. I was like, you know, I I wanted lightning to come. I wanted a big bus to hit me because I know what it feels like when your body just feels so sick. And I think one of the first things to do is to just like Eckhart Tolle talks about is to not take your thoughts so seriously and realize that we see the world as we are. So if our body is really sick, of course, we're going to see things warped, but anything to start to shift the body to a place where it can see another perspective and or see see the world through that sense of possibility and fun I think that's probably the best place to start so to go back to your question any advice really like to believe I know that sounds so cliche but like start to gather hope and inspiration in whatever whatever form that comes to you in. And if it's some, if it's starting to collect other people's healing stories, if it's starting to even just look to the natural world and see the beauty there. I think for me, that was a big part of when I was losing all hope, I would kind of get lost in watching the birds and like just Mm -hmm. watching the sun and like little, like, like reflections in the puddle. I'm like, okay, I may be scared and terrified and really depressed and so hopeless, but there's something beautiful. And in that moment, it was almost like, again, a, like a little, a mini vacation where the body is able, the brain is able to stop its over analysis and come back to this. It's like this more simple way of seeing things without judgment, like seeing things for as they are. So yeah. really, yeah. If, if someone's feeling really hopeless and overwhelmed and sick and no matter what they do, they're still feeling sick. Even with a pro metabolic approach, they're still feeling, you know, like they can't eat anything. Mm-hmm. Starting to find ways to to embody that safeness and and even just distract the brain for a little bit, just so it knows that there there is something bigger than what it may be experiencing right now. And then after a while, the body will have to follow because I think, mm. yeah, I'll leave it at that. The body has to follow. So just find find something to believe in. If it's your dog, if it's (laughs) the bird outside, if it's your best friend, it's like something bigger than you. And okay, I'll end there. (laughs) I think it's easy to get really small when you're super sick and be like, this is all about me, 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 like, and see the world through that small lens. Find a way to see that you are just a small piece of this very important piece of this puzzle, but see that your whatever you're experiencing is can can be of use. Your suffering can be turned into fuel to later help other people suffer less. So if that can help lighten the load and just to not take it so personally, because once we remember that our bodies are on our side and they're trying so hard to help us feel better, then it's not that, oh my gosh, look what life did to me. It's like, oh great, life gave me a wonderful reflection. And now I get to show up with more purpose to help others. So thanking yes. your sickness, thanking your, your symptoms and say, wow, great. Now I have a mission. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Literally every word that you just said, I have done. I even like a year ago, I was going through something really hard and, um, I had to slow it down and trust in things that, um, 
were right in front of me. Like I would literally open up my curtains and just stare at the trees. And that just felt like so therapeutic to me. And, um, I don't know. I just felt like it was, it was right in my reach and I was just open to receiving, um, anything at that point. Like when you're at rock bottom, whether it's like uh, medically related or you're just moving through something like life happens and life can be hard, but I guess not, um, sticking to that story. And then comes in like the brain rewiring and telling, like telling yourself a different story, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, that all can be really helpful. I love that. Thank and you. It's so, so simple. Much. <laughs> it, it really is. So you don't have to like yeah. make it complicated. All everything that you've talked about today is just it really can be so simple. We don't have mm-hmm. to um, do all the things. Um, one yeah. last question, because it is the yeah. experience podcast. What makes mm-hmm. you human? That's such a good question. I mean, thinking about my on ever unfolding journey, I think it's a good reminder to know that you like, you don't get to the point where you're like healed and everything suddenly like simplifies. Now it feels more like an art form where I'm learning to better understand myself and who I want to be and kind of work again. I still have symptoms that I'm working with. I don't want to pretend like, Oh, you know, I rewired my brain and started eating pro metabolic and now everything's easy peasy. No, I'm still human in the sense that you know, I'll still react to certain foods. I'll still have moments where I forget how precious life is. And I might start to get overly serious mm. or kind of like hyper-focused on something that's not helpful. And I think those are the moments where I'm like very, very human that I have to like even step back from that and ask myself, who do I want to be right now? What's important right now? Um, I Does that answer your oh question? My God. I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> No, it totally does. Yeah. I definitely really, I think, yeah, you know, and something like with food reactions too, still that humanness. And even though I'm feeling so much better these days and I'm finally like, wow, I can do a lot of the things that I definitely could not do a couple of years ago. I'll still have days where I have a big old pregnant belly because I reacted to onions or something. And in my humanness, I'll just kind of like now learn to laugh at it, like shake it around, massage it and work with it. Again, it's not so much of a problem, but yeah, I'm still definitely human. I'm still kind of cleaning up the mess of a standard American diet and super high stress as a kid and all of the effects of birth control and Mm -hmm. acid blockers and Prozac and all all the antibiotics, all of it. So coming back to just doing the best we can and and having bringing the humor in with the big belly and whatever whatever symptoms might be popping up. Awesome. Am I allowed to bounce that question back to you? Or? <laughs> oh my god, I've never been asked actually. Really? Um, yeah, what makes me human? Um, I guess the fact that I feel that I feel that I just feel all the feels like, I think that is human. If, if we were all robots or something, we wouldn't have the the ability to feel, but the, the tricky part is letting ourselves feel right. There have been moments. Um, I remember at the beginning of quarantine where I was like, dang, I have to sit with my feelings and emotions after a really hard breakup. And I didn't want to do that, but I sat in the discomfort and I felt all the things and that felt very human and just having to wanting and having to move through all of those emotions that come with that, the pain, the grief, the misery, the sadness, the joy, the relief, um, I guess just experiencing a wide range of emotions. And that's kind of why I created this podcast. Actually, this podcast was born after all of those emotions um wow yeah silver lining (laughs) exactly yeah so yeah just feeling I guess is what makes me human so thanks for asking that That yeah no I that's a great (laughs) question I'll I'll be using that (laughs) it's a really good question thanks um all right so just to wrap things up Teresa where can everyone find you how can they get in contact with you yeah, I'm most active on Instagram these days at Living Roots Wellness. I have a blog, livingrootswellness.com. Less active on that right now, <laughs> but 
I, yeah, I think Instagram is the best place to reach me. Um, and that's where you can schedule if you're interested in working one-on-one -on -one or awesome. working in more of a group context. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You thank guys you. know where to find Teresa. And until next time. wanted to take a brief moment to chat about the relaunch of the nourished method which is my very own signature course that is 12 weeks long and it's going to look a little bit different this time around so if you were with me last year i launched the nourished method for the first time ever thanks so much to the women who joined and gave me incredible feedback for this round so that things can be new and improved things are going to look a little bit different no weekly calls um i feel like a lot of the women got a lot of the answers that they needed from the course and just communicating with me via messenger and the facebook community so that's exactly what we're going to do this time around we're going to have a private facebook community where all your questions and concerns are going to be answered i'll be in there every single day so it's really no different um the course will be dropped all at once all 12 weeks of modules will be dropped all at once you'll have the knowledge wisdom and tools that i have literally in this course um you'll get trackers um meal plans uh supplement guides um, grocery guides, literally so many things, checklists, like the whole nine yards guys. I'm not going to leave you out in the dark. I want you to succeed. I'm also teaming up, teaming up with some really awesome women in the field when it comes to movement and meal plans. So you'll get set up with that. You'll get the whole works. Um, I'm really excited for this round, you guys. And the early bird special starting on February the 4th is $297 paying full. There's also a payment plan option for that, and the price will go up at the end of the week of the 4th um, to $4.97. So be sure to sign up early and let me know if you have any questions on Instagram. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Experience Podcast. I always appreciate your love via Instagram DMs, so feel free to take a screenshot if you're listening and be sure to tag me on Instagram. And of course, if you feel called to, I would love, love to see you leave a five-star rating and review so that others can hear my voice too. Until next time.